From Nashville, Tennessee, Southwestern Family of Companies welcomes you to the Action Catalyst. Each week, we share insights and inspiration for movers and shakers in the world of business. Our goal is to help you increase your self-discipline, overcome procrastination, and help you to take action on all the things that really matter. What makes a hero? That is a part of what we're talking about today. I want to sort of warn you up front that this is a pretty emotional episode. Uh, Who you're about to hear from is a street cop. His name is Brian Bonitsky, and he was one of the five police officers who were in the Mandalay Bay who went in the room with the active shooter back in October of 2017 in Las Vegas at uh, which was the the worst mass shooting in uh, U.S. history. And he is telling the story about what happened that night and what it was like. And um, it's not too graphic or anything, but it's just, it's an emotional episode. So just want to give you a little bit of a, a warning a warning there. And, um, you know, what we're going to talk about afterwards, which, you know, if you don't want to hear the whole story, you can skip ahead. And, and in the in the debrief, you know, segment here after the interview, I will, uh, you know, share kind of what I learned from him and, and talk about these three elements of what make, what makes a hero and three things that Brian seemed to exhibit and three characteristics that you see in heroes, heroic high performers, not just in life and death situations like uh, it was in Las Vegas that night, but just in every situation in life. And so, uh, this so excited you're here. I, I I do hope you listen to it. It's an incredible story, and it's it's a it's you know there's a it's a hopeful there's a there's a hopeful element to it, although it was certainly you know, one of the most tragic events in, in human history. And so it's just emotional. So just want to let you know that. Thanks for being here. Uh, like always, we're, we're, we, we do our best to, to convert it into something uplifting and inspiring for your life. I think that this will probably become one of the most popular episodes that we ever published. So I hope you enjoy it. We'll get started just after this message. This episode is sponsored by Southwestern Coaching. Southwestern Coaching has helped over 11,000 people increase their incomes by over 25% on average. As a successful salesperson, you know the importance of increasing your sales, but sometimes you might just need a little extra push and accountability to meet your goals and grow your business. Southwestern Coaching will help you increase your income through one-on-one sales and leadership coaching tailored specifically to your needs. Together, we will elevate sales. To schedule your free one-on-one business action planning session with a Southwestern coach, go to www.southwesternconsulting.com forward slash action catalyst. Hey, I'm sure many of you remember this date and uh, it was a date in history, which is not a, a date to be proud of or necessarily thankful for. It was Sunday, October 1st in 2017. There was a shooting in Las Vegas and it was... Um, the 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 worst mass shooting in the in history. Uh, there was a man who opened fire on a crowd of concert goers, and 58 people were killed. 851 people were injured between 10:05 and 10:15 p.m. And uh, this happened. Obviously, he was at Mandalay Bay, and um, at that point, obviously, there was uh, you know police responders that came to the scene, and the man that you're about to hear from is one of the few people that were there that night. Uh, not just there in Las Vegas, not just there at Mandalay Bay, but who was there going into the room. And his name is Brian Bonitsky, and um, he has been a cop. Uh, you know, he's been married for 21 years. He's been a cop in Vegas for 19 years. He's been in two shootings, and this was one of them. So uh, he's here to just kind of tell us the story, and and I think he's got a message for us out of all of us. So Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you. So so take me to October 1st, and just you know, tell me what 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 was what happened? Like what was going on? Where were you? Like how how, how does it what what happened that night? Well, I was working uh, standard patrol. You know, I'm a street cop, so I do calls for service, which means if you call 911 or 311, I show up. So I was actually on a domestic violence call in Mountain's Edge, which is a south part of Las Vegas. Um, We heard 
somebody say shots fired. The dispatcher came over there and she said shots fired on South Central. So that's a different channel. So as soon as that happens, we always switch over channels so we can listen. So the dispatcher again said shots fired on South Central. When we turned over, you, all we heard was just yelling and screaming. There was cops on the radio saying there's an active shooter. People are dropping like crazy, uh, screaming for help. Um, it was it was crazy. It was chaotic. And it was one of the worst things that you can hear on the radio as a police officer is hearing your friends screaming for help. Uh, you could hear the gunshots in the background as he was keying his mic to, to yell for help. And he was trying to give intel about where the shooter was and what was he shooting. But it was such mass chaos with everybody running. Uh, he, they Basically, they could just say that it was coming from the east side of the Mandalay Bay. And it was up high somewhere. He couldn't really tell. So when I heard that and they said the words active shooter, it starts a chain of events. I called my sergeant real quick and said, hey, I have a rifle. I'm going. So I drove, me and my partner rolled code, uh, you know, lights and sirens, down to the boulevard and Russell, which is just south of Mandalay Bay. Uh-huh. I threw on all my gear, um, and then we ran all the way to Mandalay Bay, which is about half a mile. Um, when we got to Mandalay Bay, we, we came in through the, the bottom of the casino. Uh, there was Everybody was running and screaming, and we were yelling, everybody, get out, get out, there's a shooter. So I, that's when I ran into Levi, the SWAT officer, who – who knows me? I know him. We, we ran into each other. He said, hey, Brian, what do you know? So the guy's on the 32nd floor. That's what I heard on the radio. We got to go up and stop him. So uh, Levi and I and a couple other guys went up to the elevator. We went up to the 32nd floor. And and so let's stop just right there because so so for those of you that aren't familiar with exactly what happened, so this 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 guy that was in there that was doing this, it was he had rented out the the hotel, this suite for I think seven days, and over the course of seven days had been like steadily bringing up ammunition, bringing up weapons in suitcases, and it was a very slow sort of methodical plan, and so. You guys, so you, so, so then, so, and you have, when you say you have gear, so that means you're carrying, you, you put a bulletproof vest on, I guess, and then you're carrying like a rifle. Is that what you're carrying with you? Well, I, I wear a bulletproof vest every day, all day. That's part of my uniform. I wear it under my shirt. Some, uh-huh. de- some departments, they can put on stuff on the outside. They wear their, their uniform doesn't contain a bulletproof vest. Mine does. Um, so when I th- say put on gear, it means I grabbed my um, electronic ears I grab my knee pads, uh, I grab my rifle, I grab extra rifle ammunition that clips onto my leg. Um, some guys throw on a tack vest. Um, so it's 30 pounds of gear is what I wear every day, but then it's an additional 30 pounds of gear to put on roughly, you want to try to do it in under a minute. And wow. then, you know, so that, that's, what, that's what I put on. So you're, my rifle on all the gear. so you're running with six, when you say you're running half a mile, that's, you're talking about 60 pounds on top of your body weight. And then, and you guys went up the elevator. Yes. Okay. Yes. And so you knew he was on the 32nd floor. So you had that. And so then, so then what happens then you come out, I mean, you just come out of the elevator and you know, it's like, this is going down. Well, we knew. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the whole time, even the drive down while I was rolling code, it took me about four minutes. Um, you know, the whole time you're listening, you're, um, my wife at the time, we had a scanner. Um, there's a scanner, that you, an app that you can listen on your iPhone or Android, and you can listen to the police channels. Well, my wife's been listening to me on the radio for, for almost my entire career. Um, she heard me going. She actually sent me a text saying, are you crazy? <laughs> you know, don't go. And I sent her a text back real quick. You know, I, I got to go. Um, so the whole time when you're listening to everybody screaming on the radio, uh, you, I, I thought, honestly, I thought we were probably all going to die that night. I thought ISIS or somebody came in and was taking over all the hotels like it was Mumbai. And when, when I was putting on my gear and running and everybody was running out and you see all the people running all shot up, uh, you know, I thought for sure we were all going to die that night. So I had made my peace with God on the way down there, just in the car, knowing that 
I made a commitment to this people in Las Vegas and that if I was going to die tonight, you know, in a blaze of glory, then that for me, that was a hill to die on. So I think most of us were prepared that or knew that we were going to die that night. Wow. I mean, I can't imagine what that feels like. And, uh, so how, how many people, how many people got off on the floor? Like how many people are in the elevator with you? There was only about five of us in the elevator. And they, and it was all police force. Yeah, it was me and uh, one SWAT officer and four other police officers, just just like me, just uniformed officers, just regular street cops. And so you're all all five of you. You're like, all right, we're going. And so you're so you're up there. So you come out of the elevator, and then what happens? I guess you could hear it because this guy was firing off like 1,100 rounds, right? So you could just right. you hear it. At the, by the time we got up to the elevator, he had stopped shooting, but you could see as you look down the hallway, you, he fired probably 270 something rounds down the hallway. So you could see the hallway was was riddled with bullets, bullet holes. There was smoke. Um, his door was, was all shot up. He had a his door was actually a, um, a French door, double door. It was huge, and it had you could see it was all it was it was riddled with bullets. Um, so we decided to we can't go down the hallway on the thirty second floor because obviously he's just going to shoot at us. So we went back into the we we came out. We looked down the hallway. We just got a quick look of the scene. And then we went back to the third, back to the elevator. We went down to the 31st floor and then we ran down the hallway and we came up next to his room through the firewell, uh, the, the stairwell, uh, the fire escape stairwell. So we came up next to his room and he had the doors, uh, nailed shut. So we had to use a pry bar and pry the door open. And then when we opened the door, his room was right there on our, on our left, like literally just two, three feet away. So again, you could see it was riddled with bullets. Um, we, we couldn't hear anything. Um, Levi at that time called the SWAT commander and said, Hey, I have a couple guys with me. We're breaching and we're going in because with an active shooter, you don't, you don't wait. You go in as fast as you can and stop the threat. So Levi looked at us and said, Hey, um, we're going in, hand me my debt, my, uh, my breaching bag. He's a breacher, thank God. Um, so he blows stuff up. He gets gets into doorways and stuff. So he put debt cord. Uh, he snuck out into the hallway. He put debt cord all around the door. Came back in, and he said, uh, basically in in breacher terms, he counted one, two, three. So he said, breach, breach, breach. Boom! Uh, hit the switch. The door blew up, and uh, we went in and systematically started clearing it. Some of us held right in the hallway because. Uh, Stephen Paddock had cameras in every door uh, through the eye hole, through the people. Hmm. And those cameras were linked to a laptop computer that he had next to him. So he had four computers in his room. So he could see everything that was going on in, all, in the hallway and out the doors. So we had to be mindful of that. So some of us stayed on the, um, we held up on the entryway and waited for the signals for the guys inside and then the rest of us came in and then we systematically cleared the rest of it um, until we found just, Paddock and he Paddock was, had already had a, a, what appeared to be a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. Uh, well, and just for people that are, are, you know, like this isn't, this isn't like a standard hotel room. This was a, this was a suite, a huge area. He had, he had booked a, a neighboring room that was connected. And so he basically had occupied a whole like wing almost uh, end of the hotel. But so you didn't know, I mean, you had no idea if he had bombs hooked up in there or anything. You just, you just, you just went for it. We just went in. We just went in. I, when I went before, as he was getting ready to blow the door, I was actually looking at guys and seeing which guys I could grab, which guys that if they went down, I could, like I was sizing guys up. I was sizing people up saying I can grab this guy and this guy each with one arm and drag them back. Because I, I assumed that as soon as we, we blew the door, that we were just going to be met with just, you know, from autumn, you know, from the rifles, which is, is, you know, the most dangerous thing you could do, you know, have an automatic rifle coming shooting at you. So I was literally, I think we were all doing that. We were all looking at each other, like who can drag who? Um, we had a, a secondary plan where we had a, a couple officers stay back that were literally going to provide medical aid uh, to us. <laughs> and we had one security guard stay with us that had a, a, a key to the elevator and a radio for security. So because we told the security guy, don't leave anywhere. You stay with us, because if we get hurt and get injured, you're our ticket to get back to that elevator and get us down to get to get medical care. 
So he, he was, he was a wreck. He was shaken. He was, he was a mess. Well, I mean, this guy, I mean, this is just a, you're saying that's a hotel security guard. This is not a guy who signed up for like no. uh, bulletproof vests and get and automatic weapons and stuff. I bet, I bet he was a mess. And so, so then, so you go in, so you clear the room and then, and then after that, so you found him. And so the shooter, the shooter committed suicide is basically what happened. Yeah. That's, that's what it looked like. Uh-huh. Looks like he uh, put the gun in his mouth. I got gotcha. you. Uh, so, you know, obviously just a, a terrible tragedy, the worst mass shooting in history. And um, I guess, you know, as you, as you've had some time to process on it, it's interesting to, to hear you say in a moment, you're making peace with God. You're going in. I know you go to church. You actually go to church with some buddies of mine at Verve there in Vegas and, you know, like good people. And um, the, uh, when you make a, de- you make a decision like that, you've, but now you've, you've had some time to reflect. You've had some time to sort of reflect back on it. What do you, like, what do you think looking back on it? Like what, it, what have you processed it in terms of like, you know, people ask these questions, why do people do it? What does this mean? Like there, we don't know what this motive was still and any of that, like what are your reflections now looking back? Well, um, I know life is, is precious. Enjoy every day you have, um, make sure you can take care of yourself. A lot of people there, it it was great to see the city come together that everybody was helping everybody, you know, had nothing to do with race or age or anything or culture. It was literally everybody was helping everybody. Anybody that was injured, people were stealing cars just to get people down to the hospitals. Um, a police car was stolen and used to transport people down to the hospital. And this, this is amazed me is they didn't even take anything out of the police car. There was all kinds of weapons, everything in the police car. They didn't touch a single thing. They actually left it. And then they left a note that they broke, but just to get people down to the hospital to save lives. So my takeaway was, it was great to see everybody in Vegas, um, you know, come together in a time of need. It was great to see humans, you know, acting like humans again. It seems like sometimes within this world, you know, police officers are are jaded. We're kind of tainted because we see bad all the time. Always bad, bad, bad. You know, people don't call 911 to have us come over for dinner. You know, they call 911 because there's trouble. So it was great to see humanity come together at such a a, a horrible time. And, And my takeaway was, you know, you really need to enjoy your life. Um... You need, and you need to be able to take care of yourself and you need to be aware of your surroundings and you can't always depend on somebody else to come and save you. A lot of people were, were depending on the cops and, and firefighters and everybody come in and save you, but they have to realize you have to be realistic when there's a crowd of 5,000 people and there's only, you know, 200 cops or a hundred cops, there's only so much we can do, you know? So it really comes down to self-preservation and being able to, to take care of yourself. Everybody should know a little bit of, you know, basic first aid, um, and just, you know, being aware of what's going on around you. So I, I want to, I mean, the, the, the courage is, it, it is inspiring to me. And, uh, I think, you know, most of the people listening are not likely to encounter active shooters and gunfire every day, you know, right. uh, they're certainly dealing with fear, maybe not physical danger, but they've, they've got fears, you know, like there's, there's bad things that's going to happen. And, and even though it's not probably usually a matter of life and death, I think we process, you know, our brain immediately kind of goes to what could happen. You know, this could happen, that could happen, these horrible things. And yet for you, you guys, you know, it's like five of you, you, you have a minute to plan something and you just go, how do you do that? Like, where does that, where does that come from? And, and, you know, for people who are facing fear in their life, what do you, you know, I guess what would be your message to them about how to get yourself to just sort of respond in that way? Well, I, a lot of mine is, is faith-based. So I don't, you know, my, a lot, mine's, mine is based on faith. I look at it as, is God has a plan for me. You know, God puts everybody on this earth for a reason and you need to figure out what it is and do it. Ultimately, my life is in his hands. So 
I looked at it this way every day of my life as a, as a police officer, I look at whatever day is God's going to take me. That's up to him. You know, I'm not privy to the knowledge of why he's going to take me or when he's going to take me. I look at, I will always do my job until the day comes that he decides to take me. Um, as far as having the courage to do the things that we did, you know, it's, I made a commitment to the city, you know, the day they pinned the badge on me, uh, you know, to protect the city. So there's an old saying that good, uh, bad men win when good men stop working. So mm -hmm. we always, no matter how scared you are, no matter what you're facing, you have to just push through. You, you have to, you have to have faith in yourself that you can do it. Because uh, a lot of it's just mental. You know, a lot of the fears that people face every day, a lot of it is just, it's just the mental part of, you know, can I do it? Can I not do it? I think when you have enough confidence and you realize I can do it, I can do it, you will. Your, your mind is the most powerful thing in the world and you can accomplish, you know, most tasks that you put your, your mind to. It's just a lot of people are, are scared to do it. Um, but I, my friends and I that night, you know, we thought we were going to die, but we were all good with it. Uh, if, if, if I can save thousands of people, you know, with my life to me, that that's a win. Man. Uh, well, uh, Brian, you know, I know that you guys that Brian, and I got a chance to talk and, and, uh, Brian Bonitsky is his name is who you're hearing from. And he is got a passion for helping kids and speaking in schools. And that's part of how we got introduced because, uh, I know you just, you know, t tell me a little bit about your heart there for kids and why that is something that you spend some of your time doing. Well, I've been dealing with kids for the past two decades, um, almost on a daily basis. So uh, adults are adults. They've, they've kind of chosen their path and they, they're doing what, what they do. Kids, you know, are, are born innocent and, and you can mold them. And it's a shame when I see kids that are, that are raised to hate and to be ignorant about things that, you know, they shouldn't. Um, so to me, when I, I see a young kid who's scared of the police because his parents told him to, to hate the cops or be scared of the cops, uh, if I can change his mind and, 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 he, and, and show him that cops are real people and that we have feelings and that we're not actually there to hurt them at all, we would never hurt them. We're actually there to help them and save them. To me, that's a win. So every day I go to work, if I can save one kid or save one person, to me, that, that's a win. And I've saved hundreds, maybe thousands of kids. You know, I, I have on my phone, I keep voicemails of parents that have called me and they're on the phone, leaving me a message crying saying how much I saved their kid and how much they, they want to thank me. And um, to me, that's a reminder of, I think why more or less I'm here is, is to go out and make a difference and make sure that the kids and teenagers and the youth in America realize that there's no reason to be scared of the cops and there's a whole world out there that, that loves them. And, uh, they, and if they can make good choices and push through the scary things in life, you know, they can really make a difference in this world. Yeah. Well, um, Brian, is there anything that just, you know, if somebody's out there listening right now that, that you know, they're trying to make sense of some tragedy in their life, you know, something that's happened to them that maybe, you know, they didn't have any through their, none of their own fault, but you know, they just, happen to be a by innocent bystander of something going on and they're facing tragedy, whether it's personal or something professional, I guess, what, what would you say to someone who's experiencing, you know, something terrible and, and what can they do to, to process that? Well, therapy is always good. Um, talking to a therapist, um, pray, I believe, you know, with all the tragic things that have happened in my life, um, you know, I've been in a, in a couple of shootings and, I, you know, I've had a pretty crappy kid, a child life. Of course, I mean, there's no such thing as the perfect child life. It just, it just doesn't happen. Um, but, you know, my brother took his own life a couple of years ago, right after my mom died. Um, I would say, you know, you really have to give it up to God because it, some things you, you just can't handle. It's too much. It's too much to try to carry the full load yourself. It, it, it will, it will get you. It'll drive you crazy. 
And in return, you're going to end up going to alcohol or drugs to try to numb the pain. America is really good at numbing pain and self-medicating. So therapy, get it out, talk to somebody about it, which actually really helps. I was really reluctant for therapy, you know, um, but after doing it, I realized it really, it really helps. Uh, you need a good support system, good family, good wife or, or good friends that can help pull you through it. They need to realize that some things in life just happens. It's not their fault. And that it's hard for, for people, especially kids, like when their parents get divorced or something, or a kid is, is assaulted or sexually assaulted, they got to realize it's not their fault. And a, a lot of people have that. That is a hard thing for, for a lot of people to do. So, you know, faith, you know, prayer, therapy, and, and just try to realize that God puts you on this planet for a reason and you need to figure it out and do what it is. It might not always be comfortable and pleasant, but God always puts heaven on the other side of fear. Wow, man, Brian, I just on behalf of myself and the rest of a nation, we are, we're just proud to be protected by people like you and your colleagues. And thank you for your service and for your commitment. And thank you for your faith and, and for being someone that's willing to step in front of a bullet for us. And that just, it means a lot, man. So we love you guys and just know we're praying for you and we appreciate you and we wish you all the best, brother. Thank you. Thank you. God bless. Holy moly, what a story and what an unfortunate reality and what, I don't know about you, I don't know how you respond to that. I think for me, you know, my heart breaks for the families I am left with a lot of confusion, right, about why does this happen and, and how do things like this happen and they still don't know the motive of this shooter. I mean, the worst mass shooting in history. And it, 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 at this point, it's still senseless. It's, it's like, there is no explanation. And I think it's sometimes hard to process stuff like that. Right. I just, there's so many bad things that happen in the world and, and unfortunately they're all too common. And, and a lot of times we don't get to know the answer why we don't get to see the full picture but there's something about listening to brian that gives me hope there's a sense of 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 peace of knowing there's people like him out there right men and women protecting other people serving other people willing to put their own lives at stake for complete strangers. And you, you know, I guess some people may be wondering, like, what does this have to do, you know, with this show? I mean, the Action Callous podcast is not a news broadcast, right? We're not commenting uh, regularly on things that are happening in the news. But I think... There's a, there's there's several things. There's there's a few lessons specifically that I wanted to highlight for you that I learned from Brian in terms of taking that experience, that episode, that traumatic incident, and applying you know just to my everyday life. And you like me probably will hopefully never be in a situation where you know you're in a gunfight and and having to make the kind of decisions that he was making, but. All of us have challenges, maybe not to that extent, but we all have challenges. And I think there's a lot to be learned from looking at the the way that he responded. And, and there's a lot to learn, I think, from first responders in general because of some of the, the characteristics that they exhibit. And we're going to get into these three these three elements, the three big pieces that I take from the story and kind of break them down, fear, faith, and commitment. But before even doing that, I think the thing that I hope that you get present to, and I hope that I stay present to, and then I hope that every leader who ever listens to that interview gets present to, is realizing 
that while that that story may have been about a mass shooting, that story was a, a tragedy of people who lost their life. It's it's a news story. There's uh, you know real life events and real life people and hard things all about it, but it is also something that demonstrates and illustrates in a very visceral, real way what leadership is. Like, Brian is a street cop. He's, you know, he's not that, like, the head of the station. He's not, you know, some high, high-ranking person in, in, in the military or the FBI or the CIA. He's a, he's, he's a street cop, right? He's, he is what some might consider, you know, one of the, one of the, one of the Indians, right? Maybe, you know, a chief in some way, but, but in terms of ranking, he's not the, he's not the chief. He's, He's an Indian, and and yet what he demonstrated at the ultimate purest form is leadership. What is leadership? Leadership is love. What is love? Love is laying your life down for the sake of another. Love is looking after other people's needs before looking after your own. Right? I mean, think about how you love a child. It's you would do anything for that child. That is that is love and that is leadership. It's about providing, it's about protecting, it's about securing, it's about making sure this interest of this other person or these other people in your care are are protected, that they are taken care of, and that your life, your needs come second. And that is extremely difficult, extremely painful, extremely rare, extremely unnatural, and it's just not something that you see. And yet this story is a man who was doing his job every single day demonstrating the epitome of leadership, the kind of leadership that we all need to have with our families, the kind of leadership that we all need to have with our teams, with our companies, with our countries, the kind of leadership that makes a difference in the world. And that, to me, is so inspiring. Even though this was a horrible, terrible tragedy, and my hearts and prayers and thoughts go out to the to the families. I mean, it's just it's just horrible and. And it doesn't make it better. It doesn't make any of the pain go away. It's just simply a matter of what can we learn from the people who are heroes like Brian? What can we incorporate into our lives that will maybe make a difference in the life of somebody else someday so that maybe there's enough love that is going on that this kind of stuff stops happening. And I think that would be the ultimate, right? That that is that is what that's where we need to get. We need we need to love. Now in terms of applying this to our lives that maybe just call it the business world, right? Many of us as I mentioned probably will not ever be in a gunfight, uh, hopefully and not ever be in a situation like this. So as I move past just the incredible act of, of leadership of Brian and the other you know men and women that were there not that night and everything that was happening, uh, in, in terms of trying to process this and going, okay, what, what can leaders learn from this? What can individuals l- learn from this? People who are wanting to make a difference in the world, and maybe you're not in a life-saving capacity, so to speak, but, but you're in a role, if you're listening, there's a, chance that you, there's a good chance that you are someone who makes a difference in the world, and that you have a chance or you have a dream to do something that makes a difference in the world. And so there's a lot to be learned here, and there's three things that as I went back and listened and, and reflected that, you know, I'll be taking away from in addition to just the idea of the model of leadership here. And and so these are the three things I want to talk about. Fear, faith, and commitment. Directly from directly from what Brian was saying. So the first thing I wanted to to spend a little time on is the concept of fear. And fear 
is a dynamic that all of us face, regardless of it is if we're ever in a situation where somebody might be pointing a gun at us, right? That's different. That is a different level. But but fear, and, and actually, I, I think in some ways, fear, whether someone is, is, you know, in a situation like Brian, certainly he was feeling fear, is I don't necessarily think at, you know, take out the the severity and the intensity of it, but the, the practicality of what fear is, I think was very similar for Brian in a situation as it is for you or as, as it is for me. And the, the key distinction that I think is worth making and understanding is there's a difference between fear and danger. There is a difference between fear and danger. In Brian's case, he was, you know, feeling both and it, rightfully so it's under, it's understandably so that he was feeling those now what is what is the difference okay fear and this is an oldie this is this is something you maybe have heard before this is uh, an old acronym that fear stands for false evidence appearing real the way that i've described it at times is that fear is your creativity working in the wrong direction and that means that your brain runs wild. It runs wild with worst case scenarios. It can run wild with conspiracies. It can run run wild with all of the horrible bad things that could be happening or might be happening, you know, to you in the future or behind your back or et cetera, et cetera. That is what fear is. It's your creativity working in the wrong direction. When when we talk about the buy-in principle of commitment, we talk about asking you, part of how you change your life is by intentionally creating the question how so that you don't accidentally relent to the question should. And when you intentionally create the question how, that catalyzes, it moves your creativity in the positive direction because now your brain is processing on a solution rather than on a, a you know an excuse. So fear can be looking for an excuse. Fear can also, you know, fear exists. Fear exists to keep you safe, right? That is the function of fear. It exists to keep you safe. Now, there are times in your life when you are experiencing danger, which is an actual physical risk of death or a physical risk of injury. That is danger. That is different from fear. Now, when you are in danger, fear likely will accompany that. And unless you are a cop or you are somehow suited or positioned to save another life, you probably want to listen to your fear in that situation. But we all have the luxury of living in a world where on most days we don't feel a tremendous amount of danger. And so fear shows up when we are pursuing successful endeavors, not trying to take a gunman down, but just pursuing our goals, making a difference, you know, creating some movement, but you still have risk, maybe not a physical harm, but you have this emotional harm of rejection, of failure, of, of, of people making fun of you or, or saying you didn't, you know, do a good job or, or whatever. And so fear can show up there as a way of pulling you back because it keeps you safe. That is what it is designed to do. Well, when you understand that, you know that when you are pursuing success and when you have the luxury of not really living in danger and you have the luxury of pursuing success, then you can really manage fear. When fear is associated with danger, you probably want to listen to that fear. But when you're pursuing success and fear shows up, you know, it's just a safety mechanism. It, it's a defense mechanism that your brain is is engaging in to keep you comfortable and safe, but that's keeping you from moving to where you want to be. And And in Brian's case, he was in danger and feeling fear, and he responded, you know, anyways. And that's what courage is. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is taking action in spite of fear. But courage doesn't only exist when there is danger. Certainly, Brian was displaying the highest case of heroic courage and the other officers that were there with him, as there are regularly the firefighters and military and people who, who protect their courageous individuals. They're expressing courage in the face of danger. But for you in your life, 
You need courage too. You have an opportunity to live a courageous life as well. And it inspires and it protects and it serves, maybe not in the physical way to the people around you, but in the emotional way, in the life-giving way, in the in the opportunity-providing way when you respond and live with courage, which is not the absence of fear, but it's, it's feeling your fear, acknowledging that fear is there, knowing that it is just your creativity working in the wrong direction. It's false evidence appearing real. It's a defense mechanism designed to keep you safe. And you saying, no, I'm going to rise above that. I'm going to go beyond that. I'm going to go past that because I believe that there is some other greatness, some other level of excellence that I am called to. That is courage. Next thing is faith. I, I love when people like Brian come on and they share their story. I had no idea that he was a man of faith. Like, I just was like, oh my gosh, we got to hear this story. And and when people come on like him and they talk about faith because it, it helps give that insider look at, at the power and the significance and the importance of faith on a successful journey. And, and maybe it's not so clear for you, so let me dissect it the way that I see it, right? It, and, and this is what Brian said. It was so powerful. Like, it it came, it brought me to tears. He said, God has a plan. My life is in his hands. He will take me whenever he decides to take me. But until the day comes, I will do my job and I will trust in him. What? I mean, that is, that is, crazy. That is insane. That That is a completely different way. That is an ultimate level of faith. And, and you know, Brian, I don't know if you, if you go to the YouTube channel, you'll, you'll see him. And I just love this guy. He's all tatted up, right? He, he told me before he goes to a church in Las Vegas that is a, a church for people who don't like church, which I love. And I mean, he just doesn't strike me as someone who's like a Bible scholar quoting scripture and stuff. He may not be able to, but, but that's not what faith is. Faith is, is trust. It is, it is a decision. It is, it is the belief that, that God has a plan and that he will take care of you. And you know, we all know we're going to die. God's own son died, right? God's own son experienced the worst type of pain, you know, and torture that you could you can imagine. So we know that pain is a part of this life. We know that death is the inevitable part of this life. But faith is choosing to believe that God has a greater plan anyway, that it's all part of a bigger purpose. And that and 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 here and you say, okay, so what does that have to do with success, Rory? It has everything to do with success because if you have that trust, then you can move forward in the face of fear. Then you can move forward with risk. You can move forward into challenging circumstances, difficult situations, impossible. You can work against impossible odds and things that never seem like like they would ever come true. You can operate in the face of unrealistic possibility. Because it looks like you'd fail, it looks like you'd be hurt, it looks like it would never work, but you say, I I don't know how, I don't have the power how, but I believe that God does. And so I can walk with strength into this fire. I can move in the direction of the unknown. I can take a chance. I can take a risk because even though I don't see exactly everything that needs to happen for it to work out, I still believe that it will. And that gives us the perspective to have courage, to act in the face of fear. If we don't have faith, right? Like you can even take the spiritual part out of it in a sense. If, if, you, if you don't believe that things are going to work out for the best, then what happens is you stay frozen. You never act in the face of fear. You never move. You never go. You never risk because you won't move until you can see every single step spelled out clearly in front of you. And that's not how success works. You know, I love there's a definition that I heard about entrepreneurs which, you know, I very much consider myself one. And uh, I think it's so true is they say, you know, entrepreneurs are people who jump off a cliff 
and build a plane on the way down, <laughs> right? Like you, you go, all right, here we go. Like, I don't exactly know how we're going to do it. And, 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 and we're in the middle of launching a couple new endeavors at Southwestern Consulting right now, which, you know, I'm, I'm walking closely with, which is just so fun and exciting and, and scary. <laughs> it's, it's terrifying. And you're like, I don't know how it's going to work, but look, I, I trust that if I work hard, I trust, I trust that if, if I'm surrounded by good people, I trust that if I follow a set of principles that I know that are proven to work, and I know that if I serve and I look after other people, I have faith that it is going to work. You need faith. You need faith to succeed. You need trust. You need to believe that somehow, some way, it's all going to work out. And it, the, the plan working out isn't dependent upon you knowing every step of the plan. You get it? That's really important. It's for you to understand that in order for the, the, the plan to work out, it isn't dependent upon you understanding every single step of the plan. The plan can work out without you knowing every step of the plan. Your job is to take the step and then the next step and then the next step and then the next step. And as you take a step, you see the next step and you just trust and you believe that it's going to work out. And Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Again, I don't want to, I, I don't want this to turn into a sermon. It, it, it's not about that necessarily. It's just the idea, this concept, this dynamic of faith, of believing in that hope for the future. It can change. It will. It changes your life. It it makes you courageous. It gives you perspective and strength to operate in in the face of fear and, and in the face of danger when necessary. And the last thing is just commitment. It's just commitment. And, and Brian said this, he said, look, I made a commitment. You know, like I was asking him, I said, how do you have in one, in one second, like think about this, how do you in your mind literally in one second think I'm going to die right now, right? Like he said that, like literally he had the thought, I'm, I'm most likely about to die. Like this is it, I'm going to die. You have that thought and then the immediate next thought is, but I'm going anyways, because it's my job. Because it's my job? That's, that's amazing. That's crazy, right? That, that's nuts. But when he said it's my job, it wasn't like, okay, it's my job. I have to show up and do this. It was because when he said it's my job to him, it's not his job. It's not what he's paid to do. It's not about a job. It's about a commitment, Right? Do you do you get the distinction? Like he said the words, it's about it's my job. But what he was really saying was not it's my job. He was saying, it's my commitment. I've already made the commitment. And you heard him say that. He said, um, that 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 it, the day they put that badge on me, I made a commitment. And so what he was saying was that in this moment, this fire, when it came down, like when push came to shove and it was the matter of life and death, he didn't have a conversation about whether or not he should act. He didn't even consider it. Why? Because he already made the decision. He made the decision long ago. He made the decision the day he took the job. He made the decision the day he made the commitment. That he made the commitment to protect and to serve. What do you and I have to learn from that? So much. Because what we do is we need to make the decision in advance too. We need to make the commitment in advance too. And when we make a commitment and then we move forward and then one day the time comes, like now is the time to take action, right? Like I make a commitment to get in shape. Well, if you made a commitment to get in shape, then when the time comes to go to the gym, There isn't a conversation about whether or not you feel like going. You already made that decision. So you're not looking at it again. If you if you made a commitment to 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 make this your best year ever and you're in sales, then when it comes time to make the sales call, you don't ask yourself, do I feel like making sales calls? Because you already made that decision. You made that decision the moment you made the commitment. 
And if you really make that commitment, when it becomes difficult to follow through on that relationship because you're struggling, you don't question and go, hey, like, I, you know, whatever. Like, I, I'm not questioning whether or not I'm, I'm, I'm doing everything that I can. I've already made that decision to do everything in my power to do what I can. That is commitment. Commitment is you, you make a decision and then you just take action when it comes time to execute the decision. Not you make a decision and then when it comes time to take action, you redecide, right? Like, aren't we all thankful that people like Brian don't get into that situation where life is on the line and it's like every second counts and they don't literally stop and go, okay, you know what? Let me reevaluate whether or not I really want to be committed to serve and protect. No. That's not how it works. That's not how heroes are made. Heroes make the commitment in advance. And when the difficult time comes, they take action. They do their job. They follow through on their commitment. And that is why I am inspired, even though this is one of the most horrendous things that has ever happened in the history of the world, I'm inspired by people like Brian. And I know that every day there are tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people out there even who act as heroes. They're people who operate with courage in the face of fear and in the face of danger. There's people who operate with faith even when they don't see every step in the plan and they don't know how it's going to end, but they, they feel called to do something great and so they act. And there's people who act with commitment people who say, in spite of how I'm feeling in this moment, it doesn't matter because I've already made the decision. That's what heroes are. I hope that this week and next week and every week, you operate like a hero. Well, that about wraps up the Action Catalyst podcast for this week. If you haven't yet, please log in to whatever your favorite medium is to listen to the show and both rate this podcast and leave a comment, as that helps new prospective listeners determine if the show's really a good fit for them. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and screenshot this episode to share with your friends on social media. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst and subscribe to our video podcast on YouTube. Thanks for listening.